Let's pray. Father, we do ask in Jesus' name that you would really encounter those who are grieving right now, lost family members and friends, Lord, from this horrendous, horrific crime. And Lord, we ask that you would also use this to somehow cause this community to turn to you in a bigger way than ever. We pray also, Lord, you take note of all the things the devil's trying to do, and as he spews out hatred toward the Jewish people, Lord, we pray that the church would really come alongside the Jewish people in a powerful way in these last days, and we'd stand together, Lord, as the enemy really rises up and assault against those things that you're doing on the earth. Lord, we also ask you, ask you to speak you know, your word to us and implant it deep in our hearts and change our lives, and I also pray, Lord, you'd help these Senior high and junior high kids, stay awake in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I know some of you guys haven't slept much lately, but hang in. We're so glad to have our youth group here. Aren't you guys? Give them a hand. Give that youth group a hand. Great to have you guys here. Praise God. Well, last Sunday evening while we were praying for people, one of the things that a number of the leaders found out as they were praying for people, as they reported it to me, is that a number of their prayer requests had to do with anxiety or the, the fruit of anxiety, the result of anxiety in their life. And so I want to talk this morning about anxiety and how to overcome it. Uh, I know a lot about anxiety, and I want to tell you a little bit about my story. I had an anxiety disorder when I was a kid. And it really started, and not until I was an adult did I really kind of be able, was able to look back and see how it all started. I mean, my anxiety disorder was so bad that I had to take tests. If like it was time for a test, I was so nervous they'd put me in a separate room than the rest of the class to take my test. And I had teachers that you know, wanted, you know, felt like I needed special treatment. And anyways, as I look back through my life, I tried to, under, I tried to understand exactly when that started. Because God has dramatically healed me since that time, and I'll talk about that as well. But I can look back to a time where that really, really started in my life. When I was 10 years old, uh, my father went to serve in Vietnam for a year. At that time, we lived in Arizona. And during that year, my mother began to see another man. And she tried to disguise it as much as she could, but the kids, we knew something was not right here, what this guy was doing coming over to our house. And so I began, I wrote a letter to kind of inform my dad what's going on. But my mom insisted that she read all letters before they're mailed. And so I was not able to get the word to my dad that something strange is happening here. Well, when my father did finally come home from Vietnam, then we transferred in from Arizona to Spain. We lived in Madrid, Spain, moved there to Torrón Air Force Base as my dad was serving there in the Air Force. And it was there, as I was 11 years old, that one night at the dining room table, my mother and father were kind of, you know, weren't eating, and they were just looking at each other. And finally, my mom said to my dad, are you going to tell them? And he said, no, you tell them. It's your decision. It's your choice. So my mom said, well, kids, I just want you to know me and your father are getting divorced. And at that time, I just remember boo-hooing. I mean, I was sobbing, and I remember saying to my mom, Mom, I'll be good if you'll stay. But she didn't stay. She, she went on to, we took her to the airport. I can't remember how many days from that then it was. It seemed like about a week later that we took her to the airport. My dad had a station wagon actually shipped over, and, and we, we all went. It was the, my dad, mom, and the four, four kids and took her to the airport. She got on the plane, and my dad, actually, we drove the station wagon around to where the airplane was going to have to take off over us. 
In fact, later on, my mom tells me, told me that she saw the car out of the airplane was asking for them to let her out, but they wouldn't. But we didn't know about that till later, but the plane took off, and there she went. And my dad said this. The only thing he said the whole time, he said, I guess she loved, loves him more than all five of us. And at that time, my world was rocked. I mean, my sense of security. You mean a parent can just leave? My sense of security and safety was deeply rocked. Well, there was not another word said as we drove home. And we got home that night. It was Saturday. Nothing was said at home. Next morning, my dad got everybody up to take us to church. Nothing was said on the way to church. Nothing was said on the way home. We got home from church. My dad is trying to get something together for us all to eat. And in through the door comes my mother. She had landed in New York. First of all, she tried to get out of the plane. They wouldn't stop the plane. She landed in New York, borrowed some money from a friend, and flew back and asked for our forgiveness. But still, there was a sense something hit, something rocked me that, you, that, that I just thought, I never felt as secure again after that. I never really felt fully safe. I mean, could, can a parent just leave? It really rocked my world, and I began to struggle with anxiety after that. Of course, later on, God healed me in a big way, and I want to share a little bit about that with you as well. But I want to talk to you about anxiety. I want to talk to you today how to deal with it. Because after I became a Christian, I thought, you know, there's, in Christ, there's got to be power to fix this. And sure enough, there is. So we're going to talk about the anxiety and how to overcome it. But first of all, we've got to talk about the root of all anxiety. What is really at the root of all anxiety is unbelief. You know, when you're born again, you are born into a life of warfare. That warfare is called in 2 Timothy 4, 7, the fight of faith. We have to fight this fight of faith. Now, we spent the last several weeks focusing on winning the fight in spiritual warfare. And we've been focusing on our warfare against the powers of darkness, against Satan and his minions, demons. This morning, I want to expand even more our understanding of how the Christian life is a life of warfare, that we are in a constant battle. And the key thing, listen to this now, the key thing that we must battle in order to win this war is unbelief. Unbelief is the key thing that we must battle to win this war. I want you to notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 3. Verse 12, let's go through this verse, this passage slow. Hebrews 3, 12, it says, take care. In other words, be on guard, be alert. That's the vigilance of battle. In other words, we got a war to fight. Be alert about it, take care, take heed. Brethren, lest there be in you an evil heart of unbelief. Now, there's the enemy of the warfare. We're all we're battling an evil heart heart of unbelief taking charge in our lives. If we let that happen, he says, that leads to you falling away from the living God. And that is why we should take this warfare seriously. There is much at stake here. The possibility of falling away from the living God. That's what he says. So in other words, the most basic battle of our life is the battle to believe in the living God. 
and not allow our heart to become an evil heart of unbelief. Don't let that happen. Fight for that not to happen. It's so important that we understand that beneath our battle against evil in our heart is the battle against unbelief. In fact, unbelief, by the way, unbelief is the root of evil, and it's the number one thing that we must war against. All sinning grows out of unbelief in the living God and unbelief in what he has said in the scriptures. All sinning grows out of that. I want to talk to you today about the fact that unbelief is the root of anxiety. In fact, anxiety is at the root of why so many people go to the doctor. Anxiety is at the root of why so many people go to the psychiatrist. Anxiety is the root of why so many people make appointments to see a pastor or a counselor. It is at the root of most emotional problems, mental problems, and spiritual problems. So, in fact, I want you to stop and think for a moment how many different sinful actions and attitudes actually come out of anxiety. Think about anxiety over your finances for a moment. Anxiety over your finances can give rise to coveting and to greed and to hoarding and to even stealing. All kinds of sins come out of that anxiety. Let's talk about anxiety about succeeding in some task. You really want to succeed in that endeavor, that task. You know, that can make you irritable and abrupt and surly. Or anxiety about relationships can make you withdrawn or indifferent, uncaring about people as you guard your heart from possibly being hurt. Anxiety about how someone will respond to you can make you begin to just cover the truth and exaggerate and twist things because you really want them to see you in a certain light and you're anxious about whether or not they see you like you want them to see you. And so you lie. See, anxiety, if it's going to be conquered, if it's conquered, a lot of sins are conquered with it because it is at the root of sin. Now, Matthew 6, Jesus says there's three times that we must not be anxious. Matthew 6, 25, he says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Matthew 6, 31, he says, therefore, do not be anxious. Matthew 6, 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. I want you to notice what he says here in Matthew 6, 30. Watch this. Jesus is speaking here. He says, if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you? Now listen to this. O men of little faith. So in other words, Jesus says the root of all anxiety is a lack of faith. Doesn't he? The root of anxiety is actually unbelief. Jesus is saying much anxiety comes from little faith. See, the real problem behind anxiety is unbelief in God and unbelief in his promises. I'm not really sure he's a good, good father. I'm not sure he's going to take care of me. I'm not sure he's going to turn this for good. I'm not sure he's going to come through. I'm not sure he's going to be around to take care of things next week, next month, next year. So what does Jesus say about dealing with anxiety? Well, let's, go, let's look at this in Matthew 6. He's going to give us several reasons why we don't need to be anxious. The first one, first reason, verse 25. Do not be anxious about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Why? He tells us why. Because life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. There's so much more to the real meaning of life than that. What does he mean? Well, when we, 
why do we tend to you know, get anxious about food and clothing? Think about this for a moment. Because there's three things that we would lose if we do not have food and clothing. What are those three things? Well, first, we'd lose pleasure. Food tastes good. I mean, we'd lose the pleasure eating food. If you ever fasted for very much, I mean, you miss food. Not just because you're hungry. You miss the pleasure of food. So you would, you'd lose pleasure if you don't eat. Also, secondly, we'd lose human praise if we don't dress a certain way. Or human admiring glances if we didn't have nice clothes. Or third, we'd lose long life if we didn't have food, you know, at all. Or if we weren't protected from the cold with clothes. So we get anxious about food and clothing because we don't want to lose three things. Physical pleasure, human praise, and length of life. And here's how Jesus responds. If you're gripped by anxiety over these things and you've lost view of the greatness of what life is really all about. See, life was not primarily given to us for physical pleasure, but for something greater, and that is enjoyment of God. And life was not primarily given to us for approval of man, but rather approval of God. And life was not even primarily given to us for an extension of how many days we can live on this earth, but that we might live forever with him. And so we ought not to be anxious, Jesus is saying, about food and clothing because food and clothing cannot provide the real great things of life like enjoyment of God, pursuit of his gracious favor, and eternity in his presence. We get anxious about food and clothing, by the way, to the same degree we lose sight of the great purposes of a God-centered life. That's the first reason Jesus says don't be anxious because you're missing the whole point of what life is really all about. Second, reason Jesus gives for not being anxious. Verse 26, look at this. Look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you, are you not of more value than they? See, what we see here now, if you ever watched a bird, you, I, I haven't seen too many lazy birds. I mean, they're working. They're working hard. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're getting the worms out of the earth, and they're scratching up bugs, and they're, they're making their nests with grass and leaves. They're working hard, yet Jesus says God feeds them. God feeds them. See, what we see when we look at a bird is a creature who does not act as though God's merciful today in providing, but maybe he won't tomorrow. A bird, a bird, a bird is confident that God's going to be God tomorrow. How much more then should we be at peace about tomorrow since we're not birds? We're his children of our Heavenly Father. You know, the biggest difference between a disciple of Jesus and a bird is that we have the capacity of honoring God with our faith. And God values the exercise of our faith more than he values birds. So we ought to not be anxious because the birds have taught us that God can be counted on to work for us tomorrow just as much as today. Okay, third reason Jesus gives for not being anxious, verse 27. And which of you by being anxious can add one cubit to his lifespan? You know, a cubit is the distance from your elbow to the tip of your finger. How much you can't even add that to your lifespan by being anxious? Now, here Jesus is getting really pragmatic here. He's saying anxiety doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't do you any good. And whatever problem you have that's causing you to feel anxious, you can be sure that your anxiety is not going to be lessened. I mean, you know, not, your anxiety is not going to lessen that problem. So why even be worried? It doesn't help at all. That's his point there. It's useless. So don't be anxious. All right, fourth reason Jesus gives for not being anxious, verse 28 through 30. Look at this. He says, now we're going to learn from the lilies. He says, why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today is alive and tomorrow's thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, if you ever looked really close at a lily, it's amazing. It has not done, it has not willed itself to labor and spin and be beautiful. God adorned it. God did it. You can go to the botanical gardens and see that God apparently really enjoys adorning things. You can go to the zoo and see all of these creatures and say, God really enjoys adorning things. So if God enjoys this, if he delights in expressing this adornment for grass that's here today and gone tomorrow, how much more can we be sure that he's going to make sure we're clothed and adorn us? He takes care of his children. And Jesus gives a fifth and sixth reason why we shouldn't be anxious. Verse 32, look at this. Here he's going to talk about we don't need to be anxious about what we eat or drink or wear because the Gentiles, these unbelievers, seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows you need them all. In other words, anxiety about the things of this world puts us on the same level with unbelievers. You know, it shows that we're really not much different than the world if we're anxious all the time about those kinds of things. That ought not be the case. Also, it shows that we don't really believe we got a good, good father who will take care of us. That he's really going to take care of us and provide for us. And that's like the world. So Jesus is saying, don't be like them. Don't be anxious. We do have a good father, and he will provide for us. Seventh reason, verse 33. Now he's going to talk about if we would seek God and his kingdom first. In other words, put God first in your life. Put his concerns, his purposes first in your life, and he'll take care of all the other stuff. Here's what he says. Matthew 6, 33, but first seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things that you're worried about, not having, God will make sure you have them. All these things will be added to you. I mean, by the way, this is an amazing promise, guys. What an amazing promise. In other words, the best reason for me to stop being anxious when I do is that if I just put God first, then he can be anxious for me. In other words, he'll take care of all those things. He'll make sure. I don't have to make sure. He will make sure. If I'll just put him first. Jesus gives one last argument for why we shouldn't be anxious. Verse 34, the eighth one, he says this. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for, its, will be anxious for itself. Let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. Each day, one translation says, each day has an appointed amount of trouble. So everyone in this room, every one of you, you have an appointed amount of trouble for today. You have an appointed amount of trouble. And there's new mercies to handle that trouble. Here's what it says in Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The Lord's loving kindness, kindnesses indeed never cease, for his mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So I have enough mercy today to handle today's appointed trouble. Tomorrow's appointed trouble I'll get mercy tomorrow for. I can't, I can't pull tomorrow's trouble into today because I don't have mercy for it. That's why it's so overwhelming. So you have an appointed amount of trouble today. You got mercy for today. You have enough mercy for the trouble you have. Tomorrow you have an appointed amount of trouble, and tomorrow you'll get new mercy. And then Tuesday you have an appointed amount of trouble, and Tuesday you'll get new mercy. Don't pull Mondays and Tuesdays trouble into today. You don't have enough mercy for it. 
Just live one day at a time. You'll have enough mercy. So here, the, Jesus is basically saying this. The key to overcoming anxiety is believing the promises of God. Believing you've got a good, good father. Believing the promises he'll t- take care of you. In fact, you got a whole, your Bible is a whole book full of promises. And if we believe those promises, we will not be anxious. In fact, I want to give you an example. I want to just take one psalm, my favorite psalm. Some of you have been around many years have heard me talk about this psalm. But this psalm has been part of my healing, and that's Psalm 23. Psalm 23, and I just want to walk through it. I want you to see all the promises that are in this psalm. And by the way, even during this psalm, some of you guys' shoulders are going to sag down, you're going to start to relax and loosen up, and you're going to start to feel peace. Okay, let's walk through Psalm 23. Here we go. Psalm 23, verse 1. A psalm of David. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And this is the important declaration. The whole psalm hangs on this. The Lord, the one who flung the galaxies into space when he spoke a word. That one is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, not Just one day he'll be my shepherd. He is my shepherd today, right now. By the way, right now the Lord is shepherding you. He shepherded shepherded you on the way here. He's all around your chair right now. He's going to shepherd you as you leave. He is my shepherd. That's why I can say I shall not want, I shall not lack. I mean, if the the one who flung galaxies into space, if he's my shepherd, then whatever I need, whatever's best for me, he'll make sure I have, right? If he he has all power and is all good and all wise, then I can know whatever's best for me I'll have. Is that right? If he's all good, would he hold back something that's best for you? Okay, so that means I can say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. I shall not want. Whatever is best for you to have, you'll have. Now, can you just see how if you believe that, how, how, how much that gives peace to your life? Whatever's best for me to have, I'll have. Whatever's truly best for, to have, I'll have. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. By the way, the sheep doesn't know what lies ahead, that the shepherd does. The sheep doesn't know what's ahead on the journey. The shepherd does. So sometimes the shepherd has to make the sheep lie down in green pastures because they're not ready. Lie down and feed for a while. You're not ready. Get some rest. Feed. Get ready for this journey. I know the journey. You don't. Sometimes God has us in a holding pattern. And we wonder why we're in a bit of a holding pattern. You know, I'm, I got this. I'm, I'm frustrated. Lord, I want to go do this. And he's like, you're not ready to do this. You need it right now. You need to rest. You need to feed on the word and get ready. You're not ready. Sometimes the Lord interrupts our plans, shuts everything down because he knows we're not ready for what lies ahead. And we fight them on it. When actually it's our benefit just to be at peace and say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to follow you. You know what's ahead. I don't. And if you're in a holding pattern, let me encourage you to make sure you spend time resting and getting in the word and feeding so you'll be ready for what lies ahead. Cooperate with him. Don't fight with him. Use that time to get in the word and feed on the word. Verse 2, he leads me besides quiet waters. Verse 3, he restores my soul. By the way, sheep don't find refreshment in noisy, roaring rapids. They're, they're afraid of those rapids. So the shepherd, what he does is he knows that he needs to take the sheep to a nice, quiet pool of water to drink from and be refreshed. By the way, you know, we're surrounded by noise. We're surrounded by busyness and noise all the time. I mean, how many of you, 
young people go a day with, ever gone a day without your phone? Yeah, you really have. Seriously, don't lie in church. Okay. I mean, we're just surrounded by activity and busyness and noise all the time. And that is not how you get your soul restored. We got to get to some quiet places to have our soul restored. I just encourage you. And Jesus said this in Matthew 6, that when you pray, go in your inner room and close the door behind you to be with your heavenly father. You close that door to viewing eyes so you're not trying to impress people with your prayer life, but also close that door to all kinds of noise and distraction. That's where you're going to be refreshed. We need it. I encourage you on a regular basis, have some time when you get away from the noise and it's just quiet and you're with God. We need it. Matthew 23, I'm sorry, Psalm 23, verse 3, he guides me on the right paths for the good of his name. Back in those days, there were different kinds of paths. There were paths that were beaten down by travelers, and it was obviously a visible path going somewhere. Sometimes the wind would blow in the grass and look like a path, but it was going nowhere. Sometimes the path was made by robbers hoping to lure you down to some place in seclusion to rob you. The sheep could not discern which path to take, but the shepherd could. So the shepherd would lead, and all the sheep had to do is follow the shepherd, and, it, and, that, and that sheep would be on the right path. And some of you right now are struggling, and you're anxious about what, what path to take in your life. You know, you're, you know is it, I'm trying to make a decision about this job or this job or this relationship or this relationship. Or maybe you're wondering about, should I move? Or maybe a ministry decision, and you're anxious about that decision. How can you know for sure you're on the right path? How can you know for sure you're not going on a path going nowhere or a path going the wrong way? Well, you can't be. But the Lord knows what's the best path. So all we got to do is make sure we're following the shepherd. He knows where each path leads. What we got to do is make sure that we're in tune with him and, and make the next right decision that he wants us to make and we'll be on the right path. I mean, isn't that comforting to know that all I got to do is follow the shepherd? I mean, it's not up to you to figure everything out. We have a good shepherd I need to follow. He knows everything, and he knows, knows what the best path is. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So now the shepherd is leading us into the valley of the shadow of death. In fact, it probably should be translated better, the valley of deep darkness, because it was an actual valley in Palestine. It was a chasm that went up the side of a mountain leading up to a mountain meadow. Now the mountain meadow, there's a grazing, there's a grazing mesa up there. And so sometimes the shepherd would lead the sheep through the deep dark valley for a purpose, to get up to the mountain meadow. By the way, if you're going through a dark time right now, the Lord's, you know, the Lord's leading you through a dark time, through difficult places, understand this. It's never without purpose. The purpose of the shepherd leading the sheep through the deep, dark valley was to get them to the mountain meadow, to get them to higher ground. And when the Lord leads us, sometimes he leads us through deep, dark, difficult places. But it's not without purpose. It's always to take us to higher ground. And we've got to believe it when we're going through it. We got to believe, okay, Lord, I'm in a mess right now. You, and I believe you led me into this dark place, so I'm believing I'm going to higher ground and I'm going to keep trusting. Now, if the sheep just wandered on their own through that deep, dark ravine, then that sheep would have a reason to be fearful. There's all kinds of dangers lurking in the dark. But if the sheep is being led by the shepherd, the key thing that keeps that sheep safe is staying close to the shepherd through it all. And I know that some of you are in a dark deep dark valley right now in your life 
and, you, and you're thinking, I, I don't think I did anything wrong to be in this mess. If you are in a deep, dark valley, the main thing you've got to make sure you do is stay close to the shepherd. He will lead you through it to higher ground. But also, I think some of you might be in a mess right now because of bad choices you've made. So I think this is a word of the Lord to some of you in this room right here, and that is this. You got yourself in a bad situation by making bad decisions. Don't make another bad decision trying to get yourself out of it. Do the next right thing. Follow the Lord. He knows the way out. He will get you out, but you got to do the right thing. you got to follow him to get out right. Now we go to verse 5. Now, when we transition in the psalm to verse 5, a lot of people think that David is actually changing metaphors, changing from a metaphor from a shepherd and sheep to a metaphor of a banqueting house, banqueting table. But actually, I think he's not changing metaphors. I think we can understand that he's keeping with the same metaphor, the me- metaphor of a shepherd and sheep. Let's read it now. Verse 5 of Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. What's he talking about there? Well, the shepherd, when he leads the sheep through the deep, dark valley, he leads them to the higher ground, the mountaintop. And that mountaintop was like a tabletop. That mesa was like a tabletop. And there the sheep would graze. But what the shepherd would do is, before he would let the sheep graze there, is he'd go through that mountaintop with a staff and a, and a flask of oil. And he'd look for these holes. These holes had vipers that would come out, and they would bite the sheep in their nose. He'd find those holes. He'd pour the oil. Oil had a certain scent. The vipers stayed in the hole. And then he would take the rest of the oil and put it on each sheep's head, anointing their head with oil. As they grazed, that smell of oil also was a repellent to the snakes, the vipers that would come out. And then the sheep would have a banquet. They would have a feast in the presence of their enemies. And the picture, of course, for us is that we have our shepherd. He anoints us with the Holy Spirit. And as we are in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, walking in step with the Spirit, then we actually repel evil forces. And so we walk close to the shepherd. And by the way, the anointing comes by walking close to the shepherd. And we walk, follow close with him. And then we get to verse 5, my cup overflows. So what the shepherd would do on top of that mountain meadow was, is, is a well. The shepherd goes to that well, and he lowers down a rope. On the bottom of that rope is a leather basket. He lowers it down and fills it up with water, brings it up, and pours it into stone cups. And, and sheep don't like to get wet, so he fills those cups to the top. And when the sheep are drinking, the cups overflow. Amen. And David's looking, watching that, and David's thinking, my cup overflows. And David had plenty of reason to complain. He had all kinds of problems going on in his life. But he also realized that he was flooded with blessing. You know, all of us, whether you realize it or not, you are drowning in blessings. And what we do is we focus on that one negative thing and think, oh, my world's a mess. We don't think of the 99 things that God's blessing us with. But all of us could truly say, my cup overflows. By the way, the more you have an attitude of gratitude, the more you're thankful, the less you worry. Because you focus on all the blessings and all the good things. And then David now in verse 6 switches. Now he's not talking about what God has already done. He's talking about his confidence in what God is going to do. Psalm 23, verse 6, he says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Here's what I think. Uh, I'm not sure about this, but here's what I think. David is leading these sheep, and he's got two sheep dogs. Those two sheep dogs are making sure to hem these sheep in. I think he named one of them goodness and one of them mercy. <laughs> he says, goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. They just keep hemming in the sheep and keeping us on the right path. You know, really, the shepherd often had these faithful sheep dogs, 
And I think that's what David has in mind. And I think when it's all said and done, if, when, we, when we begin to look at life through the rearview mirror and see all that he did, we're going to say, surely goodness and mercy followed me all the days of my life. Romans 8.28 really is kind of the New Testament equivalent of that verse. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. By the way, I hope you underline all in your Bible there. And we know that God causes all things. That thing? That thing? God calls all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean we'll never face tragedy or painful loss. What it means is that God will take even our horrible situations and turn them for our good. You know, every fall, I look forward to uh, Thanksgiving. It's my, actually my favorite, second favorite. Easter's my favorite, but the Thanksgiving is just uh, a favorite time. And, in fact, I had two texts from my daughter in Austin and her and her husband coming in for Thanksgiving, and, and she says, make sure you have deer chili ready, Dad, because every Wednesday night when the family comes in, I always have, we have a crock pot full of deer chili, and then, of course, we had Thanksgiving the next day. But, but it's just been a tradition for us to have that. And so I, saw, I told her, I said, no problem, I got this. And what I, all I need to do is I go out in the woods and I find a real evil deer. <laughs> Some deer that's causing all kinds of havoc that nobody wants to see live. And that's the one I shoot. <laughs> but then I make deer chili. And when I make deer chili, it's, uh, I put, you know, I've got chili powder I'm putting in. Now, if you walk through the kitchen and took a teaspoon of the chili powder, you go, whoa, that's terrible. I thought you said this is awesome. I'd say, it's not done yet. We've got to put all the ingredients in. We've got to mix them together, and then we've got to let it sit in a crock pot for three hours, let it marry, and then at just the right time, it's wonderful. Amen. And that is just how life is. Right now, some of you are involved in a situation that does not taste good. You're thinking, how is this good? Well, here's the, here's the truth. The truth is God's not done yet. And he's going to put some more ingredients in. He's going to put more ingredients in. He's going to mix it all together, and he's going to let it marry, and it's just the right time. And when you look in the rearview mirror, you're going to say, surely goodness and mercy followed me all the days of my life. When he's done, that's what we'll say. And finally, he says this in Psalm 23, verse 6. He says, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And our shepherd is finally going to lead us all the way home. And that's the perspective to have. This, by the way, have you noticed this is not heaven? This is not heaven. We have not arrived where we're going. This is not the promised land. This is not the kingdom to come. We are not yet home. This world is not our home. This is not heaven. You know, we're just passing through. We're living and looking as we live forward to eternity. You know, it's amazing how You'll, you'll see that beautiful beach house and say, I wish I had that. Or you see that beautiful mountain chalet, I wish I lived there. Or you'll see, you know, that country idyllic house and you say, God, I wish I had that house. But you know what? Jesus knows exactly what you like. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. A carpenter from Nazareth and he knows how to build. Is, is building a place just for you. And that's where you're going to live forever and ever. He's already, he's building it. Heaven's under construction. He's building it for you. And so again, when you remember that, when that's your perspective, wait a second, I'm going through some stuff right now, but I'm headed there. And I'm headed there forever and ever. And a hundred million years from now, I'm still got millions and millions and thousands and millions of years ahead of me. And it never ends. 
never ends. So whatever suffering I'm going through now, the glory to come so far surpasses it. I don't have to be anxious about it. Can you see how the promises of just this psalm, he will provide for us, he will protect us, he will lead us, even through difficult circumstances, it'll be with purpose for higher ground, and eventually he's going to lead us all the way home. Can you see how meditating on that truth and believing it in your heart causes anxiety just to start to wash off? Some of you right now are feeling less anxious than when you got in here, aren't you? You feel his peace because you're believing right now. You're believing his promises. Get in that book full of promises. Get in the Bible. Read it. Meditate on it. Believe it. And don't be anxious. Trust in God. Don't be anxious. God's got it. He's got this. And he's got you. Amen? I want to close with a ministry time because I actually put this message together. Then the Lord last night spoke into my heart to tell you the story I started off to tell you about because of the ministry time I think he wants to do. Because some of you in this room were abandoned by a parent or both, and you struggled with some anxiety since. The first service, we had several people here that were even in their 70s and realized that they've been struggling their whole life with anxiety from, being, from feelings of being abandoned, those feelings of not being safe and secure even as a child. And I think God did a real powerful healing for service. And I think he wants to do it again this service. But some of you, you experienced those feelings of abandonment and you struggled with anxiety and you're thinking, Lord, I want this, I want this to end. Now, you're going to continue, need to continue to meditate on his promises and to walk in faith. But I think God wants to touch people. Here's what I think he wants to do. I think there's a deep work he wants to do by his Holy Spirit where there's a sense of him being a good, good father really grasps you, grasps you like you never before, that he's got this, and you can let it go, and you can rest in him. That spirit of adoption that says, Abba, Abba, Father. And finally, just rest in that. I think he wants to do that in some people's lives. So let's stand for prayer. And those of you that say, you know what? And by the way, I pray. I just pray, Lord, would you enable everyone just to be family right now? Nobody to worry about what everybody thinks. And we could just be family. You're our father. We're your kids. And we ask your Holy Spirit now. We ask your Holy Spirit to so work in people's hearts that, that you, you set this whole thing up. You set it up, Father, that you want to set some people free from what's happened to them. You want to heal some people from what happened as, as a child at some time. So, Lord, we just ask, would you do that, Father, in Jesus' name? Come, Holy Spirit. You're the only one that can do this. You can do a work in us by the Spirit that does that spirit of adoption. We just cry, Abba, Father. And we're finally breaking out of that, that bondage we had, that thing that held us back, those feelings of insecurity and, and abandonment. So if that's you, during this song, Karen's going to sing a song, or if that's you and you're saying, Lord, I, just, I, I sure take some of that today. I'm, I've been struggling with that. If that's you, and I believe there's a lot in this room, if that's you, then during the song, just come down front and we're going to just pray a prayer over you. And God is going to do some significant things in your heart and lives. So if that's you, feel free to slip out of your seat during the song. Come on up. We'll pray in just a moment.
Let me invite some people to come down and just begin to just lay a hand on their shoulder. Just begin to pray for them. We need a lot of people down here. A lot of saints. Come on. This is the body of Christ. This is the family of God. Just come on down. Just begin to pray. Pray out loud. Just pray out loud. It's okay. Lord, just lead the saints to pray now. We ask in Jesus' name. Jesus, you said we're two or three gathered in your name. You're here in our midst. So, Lord Jesus, you are the good shepherd. We just invite you to do your shepherding work now, Jesus. Do your shepherding work through this body of Christ. Lord. Come, Lord. Oh, Jesus. Father, we ask you to do that. We ask you to release now by the power of the Spirit now that spirit of adoption that goes very, very deep, that cries out, Abba, Father, or that real sense that we belong. We belong to a good, good Father. Lord, break through all the lies, Lord, that we we belong to you. Just come, Holy Spirit, and do that work. Do that work. In Jesus' name, we ask you to release that work. Don't let anybody be untouched, Lord. You're a good, good Father. Do that work now, Lord. Jesus, you're the good shepherd. Do that work. Just receive that. Just receive that spirit of adoption. You're his now. He will never let you down. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He will always be with you. He'll bring you all the way home forever and ever. You're safe in him. You're safe in his hands. You're secure. You're secure as you can be now in him. Just find your resting place in him. Thank you, Lord. We receive that in Jesus' name. Now, all of us, Lord, we cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. So do that. Everyone in the room now, live stream, and just we cast all of our cares on him. All of them because you care for us. Lord, we can't carry these, but you got this. You got this. And we receive your peace. Let the peace of Christ now rest upon us all. The peace of Christ be upon you. The yoke of Jesus, easy and light, be upon you. Find rest for your soul now. Be anxious for nothing. And pray for that peace that surpasses all comprehension now to fill us. In the name of Jesus. And Lord, we just pray this week we find ourselves just really meditating on your promises and believing them. Believe in the truth and not giving in to anxiety. That we be different than all those who don't know you at peace. And that they'd say, well, give me a defense for the peace that is in you or the hope that is in you. Let them see it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody in agreement says, amen. amen, amen. God bless you guys. Give them a hug down here. If you have any questions for our staff, we have Connection Coffee in this corner. If this is your first Sunday, I'd love to meet you up here at the Welcome Center. God bless you guys. Have a great week.